at the nine verses there in Psalm chapter 8. While you're turning there, I was thinking this past week of two of the most popular children's prayers. One of those is really a bedtime prayer. In early in 1711, Joseph Addison, a poet and son of a preacher, breathed a form of this popular prayer, I'm sure you may even have recited. It's now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. Amen. But then there's also another popular prayer. It's not a bedtime prayer, but a dinnertime prayer. In our house, we breathe part of this prayer before our meals. If you've ever been around me, I'm a very fast eater. Uh, I mean, when we were growing up, my mom was a great cook, but I'm going to be honest, we weren't like the Waltons. We didn't sit around the table to fellowship. We sat to eat, and, and I'm... The only person I know faster than me in finishing food is Dr. Godfrey. I sat with him one time and literally timed him, and I think it was one minute and 30 seconds because he was a very busy man. He had a reason. I'm not sure what my reason is, uh, but I am a, a fast eater. But there's a popular dinnertime prayer. It says, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. I'll be honest, because I was a fast eater, often I truncated that prayer, and I stopped with God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. But you know, as we think about uh, prayers, there's a lot of theology in the simplest of songs and the simplest of prayers. God is great and God is good. And there's maybe no chapter in all of the Bible that more clearly attests to these truths than Psalm chapter 8. Look at that chapter with me this morning, beginning in verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent or majestic is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the adversary and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being or what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. Let us pray. Father, indeed, you are great and you are good. And Lord, as we open your word into our hearts today. I pray that as we leave this place today, we would have a greater understanding of and appreciation of your greatness, but that, Lord, we would also leave this place convinced of your goodness, specifically your goodness toward us. Father, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, we are between series of, of messages today. I'll be gone on uh, next week. And uh, so today we're looking at Psalm 8, and we're really looking at a standalone text. This is not the first of a series of messages, but it is a very important message today as we look at this psalm that was written by David. A lot of people believe that David wrote this psalm and that he wrote the psalm before he became king over Israel. In fact, some commentators uh, believe that he wrote this psalm shortly after he defeated the Philistine giant Goliath. And that would help us to understand the context of this as he reflected upon that great feat that God did, not David. We could see how he would attest to the greatness of God, greater than any giant, and the goodness of God looking out for this little shepherd boy. Psalm 8 is known as an envelope psalm. As you noticed as we read through it, verse 1 and verse 9 are, are repetitive. Verse 9 says the very same thing that verse 1 says. And so basically it's an envelope psalm in that the beginning and the end attest to a truth. And in between we find uh, David reflecting on things that are related to that truth. There's a very simple outline for this morning's message. It's just two points, very simple. We see first the greatness of God over our creation and then the goodness of God toward man. God, indeed, he is great and he is good. Well, first this morning, I want to look at that first truth in the first three verses and then verse nine of our text today. And it's this, the greatness of God over creation. You know, some 200 plus years after uh, David uh, breathed this psalm, Isaiah, the great prophet, had a vision that not many people had. He described that vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And in this vision, he saw the Lord seated on a throne. And the hem of the Lord's robe filled not just a few feet in front of that throne, but the entire temple area. In this vision, seraphim, heavenly beings, were around the Lord and as Isaiah saw this, his response was this. He says, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Recently, I've been reading A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer, in one of the readings that I uh, came across this week, said this. No person can see God in his holiness and not be affected. If we're not affected in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, are we really seeing God as he truly is? Think about this. Isaiah saw God, and he said, woe is me. The seraphim later in Ezekiel uh, covered their faces as they saw God. As great as Moses was, even though he wanted to see God's face, God didn't allow it because he wasn't at a time when he could handle it. In Revelation, John fell down upon seeing God. On seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was blinded. The point is this, God is holy and majestic, and when we see him, we will see the glory of God in his radiance. David opens verse 1 <clears throat> and then closes in verse 9 by saying the same thing. But I want you to look at the first three words. He says, Lord, our Lord. If you look very closely at the text, there are 
two distinct ways that Lord is written. In the first one, it's all capital letters. Now, granted, your type said if it's like mine may have smaller letters, but you notice there's a capital R there and a capital D. But look at the second one. There is a capital letter in the first letter, but the others are not. Really, he's using two different terms. That first term, Lord, is the word Yahweh. Remember when God was going to send Moses back to the people and Moses said, Whom shall I say sent me? He said, You tell them I am Yahweh, the Lord I've sent. And so it's the personal name of God. The second uh, term for Lord there is the term for authority. In other words, it carries the idea uh, that God himself is in a divine position. So basically what the psalmist is saying here, what David is saying, he's saying, my personal God, the Lord God, the true God, you are sovereign over everything. And so as we look at uh, these first three verses of Psalm chapter 8, there's one attribute of God that jumps out at us, and it's this, his, if I could use the term, otherness he is distinct from all parts of creation he is worthy as our object of worship he is above all of creation as creator you know other can be used in two different ways in our common language let's say you and I were sitting around uh, a table and we were eating chocolate chip cookies and we looked to the next table and we saw peanut butter cookies and we had our fill of chocolate chip and you said I think I'll have that other and what we mean is another of the same type but we also might be sitting at the table and we're eating broccoli which growing up as fast as I ate I didn't have a taste for broccoli we used to call them green trees and I avoided them now I love broccoli uh, but let's imagine we were sitting at the table and we were eating broccoli and we were a child and we were tired of it and we saw chocolate chip cookies at the table. We said, I think I'll have that other food over there. That's not an other of the same type. It is an other of an entirely different kind. And that's exactly what God is. He is different from all of us. The problem and where we get into trouble in our lives is when we begin to consider God as we consider man. When we lose the awe of who God is as our creator in the great things that he has done. He is above all creation. Notice what it says at the end of verse 1. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. In other words, the heavens would be all of the expanse. Everybody today is concerned about UFOs. I don't get consumed because you know what God didn't just create this earth he created the whole universe he created everything that we see and so I have no problem with that theologically I'm not concerned with what people see whatever it was God created it notice what it says he's over the expanse he's over the heavens he's over the heavens everything that we can see and that attitude that our idea there is that God's glory extends over and beyond even the region of the heavens which are greater than the earth. Verse 3 says, When I observe your heavens, David may well have been speaking at night as he looked out into the sky, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. Genesis 1.1 said, in the beginning, God created not just the earth, but the heavens. 
He created all that there is to create, and he created these things in a special way. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. You know, uh, we create things from things. If you go home today and you fix uh, cookies or you bake something, you have some material to work with. If we're going to do woodworking, we have wood with which we're working. But when God created this earth, there was no pre-existing material. And the second truth is not only did he create out of nothing, he spoke and it came to be. The Lord spoke and it was. And, and as, we, as we stop and think about God's greatness, we have to think about this aspect of God's creation. It wasn't like he was an artist who had a canvas to begin with to work in paint colors. No, he spoke and made it in to existence he alone is worthy of all honor and power and worship not only that he's not threatened by his creation i love verse two from the mouths of infants and nursing babes you've established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger and i don't know about you but if i'm running into a big bully i'm gonna look around to the toughest guy i can get to stand beside me God's saying basically in his word here, I'll take a baby and whoop you. That's basically what he's saying there. In other words, God plus anything, anyone is a majority. He's not threatened by anyone. And, and we can't read this psalm without appreciating the greatness of God. God is something. He is something special. He is to be worshipped. I wonder today, do you know? this personal God? Do you know the Lord God? Have you come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? But I want you to see not only his greatness, which is explicit throughout all of the words of this chapter, but I want you to see also his goodness toward man. Just like that simple prayer that many pray before a meal, God is great and God is good. The psalmist upon observing God's greatness, asked this in, in verse 4. What is a human being, or your translation may say, what is man that you remember him or are mindful of him, a son of man that you look after him? The psalmist is amazed, David is amazed that God even considered him. We know historically David was the youngest of his brothers. He wasn't even sent out to battle. We read in Psalm 89 that he was the least, the youngest of his family, but God uh, called him to be his firstborn, appointed him his firstborn, gave him a, a, a position of esteem. And so you can see how David, young David, is saying, God, you're amazing. All that you've done, I look around, I see all of this. Why in the world are you thinking of just me? You know, it was said, I saw a few weeks ago that uh, during this pandemic season, as people have been isolated, uh, they've developed new hobbies or new interests. For Karen and me, our interest has been classic movies. We go back, even last night, we were watching a movie, a classic movie from, I believe it was around the 1950s. But um, as I've been watching some of these movies, I've become acquainted with some actors and actresses that I heard about when I was young, but were well past their prime. One was Betty Davis. 
Betty Davis was a famous actress in the 1930s into the mid-1940s, but her popularity sort of declined after the 1940s. However, in 1981, there was a young woman named Kim Carnes that sang a song, and if you're my age, you remember Betty Davis' eyes. And I, I got the words wrong. I always thought it was Greta Garbo's stand-up size, but I got the words, no, it was stand-off size because Greta Garbo was sort of an aloof type of person. But then right after that it said, but you have Betty Davis. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. But the song was written by Donna Weiss and Jackie DeShannon almost a decade before Kim Carnes made it popular in 1981. And in 1981, when she sang that song, it was number one for nine weeks on the charts among popular music. And it was the 1980 song of the year. It, it gained an Emmy in 1981 in its particular genre. Betty Davis was 73 years old in 1981. She was well past her peak. But she sought out Carnes and she sought out Weiss and DeShannon because she wanted to personally see them. And when she saw the three of them at an event, Betty Davis said this, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you have made me relevant to my grandchildren. By the way, her eyes were blue. We all want to be relevant. He, here was a lady that was at the peak of popularity in the 30s and 40s, but by the 80s it was past. And what did she want? She just wanted to be relevant. Many people seek relevancy by working hard, by trying to gain possession, by trying to be outwardly beautiful, by uh, developing a craft or an ability that sets him or her above others, by having a bold bravado or being a likable person. But as we read Psalm chapter 8, the word tells us that we are relevant just in who we are, not in what we do. Psalm 8, as the psalmist looks out over the vast expanse of the earth, he realizes as big as this earth is, as big as the sky as the universe is, I'm important. I'm important to God. You're important to God today. I don't know how you feel about yourself, but on the authority of God's word, you are relevant to God. He's mindful of you. You know, every once in a while, uh, my mind for mathematical figures, I, th I thought I was going to be a math teacher like Sebastian, but God called me into ministry. But I liked statistics. It was something I always enjoyed. Uh, and so this week, I, I was just thinking about some amazing truths. So I Googled some things. I started to think. And I want you to follow the train of thought of this. There are almost 8 billion people in the world. But it's very interesting. I was wondering how much space, area of the world, would 8 billion people take up? It's much less than you would think. 8 billion people, if you could set them almost like sardines, shoulder to shoulder, even if you set the next row beside, you could fit all 8 billion people in the state of Rhode Island. Rhode Island is the smallest state in the United States. You could take all of the people in the world 
and fit them tightly but definitely in the state of Rhode Island. Now get this, this state, smallest in the U.S., takes up, if we count the land area and the water area, the area of the earth, takes up only 0.000006 of all the area of the earth. So all of the people, 8 billion, could fit in only 6 millionths of the earth. But yet the psalmist says here that he observed the moon and the stars, and of course we know he created the sun, God did. One million earths would fit in just our sun, not counting all of the other planetary, all of the other uh, stars and that are existing. So follow this, you're one among just eight billion. All of those eight billion as impressive as we might think they are, only fit in .00006 of the area of the earth, which, by the way, even though we may think the earth is impressive, one million earths can fit in the sun. And you matter to him. You matter to him. Like a precious, precious, tiny, valuable diamond. You matter so much that he sent his own son, the creator of all this earth, of all of the expanse beyond the earth, to die for you. I have one word, wow, that he would think of us. We esteem performers who can sing, athletes who are fast, speakers who are eloquent, and we don't stop to praise him for his greatness and his goodness toward us. I have one word for God, wow, another word for us, shame. We don't spend enough time focusing on his greatness, but we ought to praise him for his goodness. The psalmist says, I matter to you. With all that you've done, I matter to you. Do you realize that the apex of his creation is man? On the sixth day, God created man. After the first five days of creation, God saw that it was good. But on the day after man was created, God saw it and said it was very good. But not only that, not only does he value us, but God believes in us. Oh, that we would believe in him. Notice what he says you ver verse 5, you made him a little less than God. Your, your translation may say angels or heavenly beings. Basically, uh, it's the word Elohim. Some people consider it the plural of majesty in reference to God. Some concern heavenly beings. But basically what he's saying is as humans, we were created closer to God than we were to the animal world. We're created with a purpose. Notice that he has given us dominion. You've made man ruler over the works of your hands. In other words, God trusted man. He believed in God. He gave him dominion. He gave him dominion over the animate and the inanimate objects of his creation. Animals, they're great. But this tells us that the sheep and the oxen, domesticated animals, verse 7, as well as the wild animals, the end of verse 7, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, that we have been given dominion over all of those. He created us with a purpose, to have dominion over the earth, 
to bring glory to God. This is good news, great news. We were created just lower than heavenly beings. We have been given dominion over both the inanimate and the inanimate aspects of the world. And God is mindful of us. Now, God remembers us or, God, you're mindful of us. That doesn't just mean we cross his mind. But have you ever taken a gift to someone unexpected and you say, I was just wanted you to know I remembered you. I was thinking of you. There's an action. It's not just I'm thinking and I'm aloof or you cross my mind. It's I'm mindful of you. I, I thought of you enough to act on it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. And so God created us in his image. He, 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 he minded us. He was concerned about us, even though, as we saw statistically, we aren't all that much. But we're valuable to him. But the sad part of the story is he has not been valuable enough to too many of us. We see in Scripture that man has transgressed his commands, both in action and in action, rebelled against God. Adam transgressed the Lord's first command. He believed the lie of the devil rather than the truth of God. And as a result of that sin, we too have a sinful nature, and we can't blame it on our forefathers. We can't blame it on Adam, because not only are we sinners by nature, but we sin by choice. We're really like, if I could give you a parable, like a little boy that's sent on an errand. The sender gives him money and says, I want you to go take care of this. I'm giving you responsibility, even as God has given us as men and women responsibility. The young boy who goes on the errand begins to get distracted. He sees things that appeal to him. He takes the money. He doesn't use it for what it's intended. He, he goes out and he, and he rebels against what the intent of the sender was. And finally, as that story of the prodigal son, he's bankrupt. And he realizes, I have not lived, or I've not carried out my task the way the, the master, the sender, intended for me. What's the answer? To honestly come back and say to the sender, I'm sorry. People, we can't run from God. We already see his greatness here. He sees it all. The Bible says that we, even though we are valued, even though we're created in the image of God, that every one of us is a sinner. We sin in what we do and what we don't do. If we don't sin in word, we sin in action or in thought. We're all sinners. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. There's a payment for sin. As much as God values us, he detests sin, and sin must be dealt with. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. We're able to see even more greatly than the psalmist, God's plan. The psalmist says, what am I that you're mindful of me? And he said that before the cross. As you look at the cross of Christ today, you should say the same thing. God, what am I that you're mindful of me? That you cared enough that you sent your son to die for me. God, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. From this point forward, I want to live my life for you. Would you say that today? Would you get on the right track today? The one who loves you, who created you, who's given you a purpose, created in beauty with a great purpose, yet flawed. How amazing it is that the creator of this universe 
thinks of you and of me. The question I have for you is how much are you thinking of him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, as we come to this close of this Sunday morning service and message, we are amazed that you're mindful of us. And Lord, this side of the cross, we understand that you're remembering us. The action that accompanied that is you're sending Jesus to die for us. Lord, he paid a price that was not his price to pay. He paid it on our behalf. Lord, I pray if there be any here today who have yet to trust Christ, they would say, God, I thank you that you're mindful of me. I want to be mindful of you and give my life to you. Father, speak in this hour, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today for the first time, you've come to this realization that you're